Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is 1 Timothy 3. Have you ever had an extra sense of of weightiness or gravity, perhaps, as you entered into somebody else's home? Maybe go back to before, if you're you're married, before you married your spouse, maybe the first time you went over to their parents' home, or, or maybe you were invited over to the home of your boss. And when you walk in, there's that extra sense of care that you have. Yeah, you're probably looking, okay, what are we doing here? Shoes on, shoes off? Okay. Um, you're probably uh, not just putting your feet up on furniture. Maybe even before you went, you took a little more care to how you dressed or how you looked because there was something serious about going into that house. Now, all of that pales in comparison to the house of God, going into God's house. Shouldn't that be a serious thing? Well, our passage today in 1 Timothy 3 refers to the church as the household of God. That the church, that the gathering of God's people, that is the household of God, which is, it says in verse 15, the church of the living God. And so Paul is writing this pastoral epistle, writing a letter to a pastor. So that it says in verse 15, he may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This letter tells us what we should do when we come into God's house. And God's house is important because it is the church of the living God. His own character brings seriousness to the gathering. But also it says that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth in verse 15. And you've probably seen in uh, pictures of old castles or cathedrals, right? That idea of a buttress, this kind of arch that is supporting the wall or a pillar that is holding something up. Well, God has given us the truth of the gospel, but he has entrusted to the church to support that message and to spread that message. And you see somewhat of a summary of that message in verse 16, this mystery of godliness that he, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit. I believe that's a reference to his resurrection, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That even gives us a sense of what the church should be all about as we look at what that message of the gospel is. And the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the church is monumentally important. The church has an incredible weight to it as it supports the truth of the message of the gospel. So it's important for pastors to know from these letters what God's plan for the church is is. And you should have that sense of weight. Whatever role you play in the church, you should be thinking this church, the gathering of God's people, the church of the living God, that's an important thing. Now, we've looked mostly at the end of the chapter. We'll spend most of our time now going backwards because one of the most important things about the church are its leaders. Who are the leaders of the church to be? And that is what most of the chapter 
talks about. But hopefully now you have even a greater sense of weight and gravity as you go to these lists, understanding, wow, if the church is so important, its leaders must be important. And so as we look through this list, many of you maybe aren't in a position of leadership in the church, and it might be easy to think, well, this doesn't pertain to me. Not so fast. Here's three ways I think this should pertain to anyone listening to this podcast. And the first is you need to look for good leaders. You need to look for good leaders. You will probably be between now and the time that you die, or if Christ comes home you or takes us home, you will at some point probably be in the position of looking for a church to attend. You may move somewhere and you're looking for a local church. Well, one of the things you should look for is the character of its leaders. Now, admittedly, that's hard. It, it's not easy to perceive the character of the leaders just by looking at a church website. Uh, that's not something that can easily be told just even by watching a live stream. But these are the kind of people that you should look to follow. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you should pray for your leaders. As you see these high standards that God has for his leaders, you should consistently uphold your leaders in prayer, knowing that they have a target on their back from our enemy who wants to see them disqualified. He wants to see the opposite of this character in them. And the third way that this applies to you is these are the things that you should imitate. The Bible calls you to imitate your leaders, to imitate good examples. So if this is the character God wants in the leaders, that's because this is the character God wants to see imitated by every Christian. So you should not read through these lists and think, well, I hope my church leaders can live up to this. No, this is the example that God is giving me to follow. These are the things that I should want to see in my life. So that's the spirit with which I want you to read through these lists. Now, there's two different breakdowns here. I have two different office offices of leadership. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And that is a word that's used interchangeably with some other Greek words. And the two most common English words that we would use for this word of overseer are pastor or elder. And even those two words really are describing the same office, the same office as overseer here. These are the men, and that's where, even based on what we see here and what we talked about at the end of 1 Timothy 2, these are the men that are supposed to lead the church. And I think that should be limited to men in this office of overseer. These are the pastors or the elders. These are the men leading the church. And then you see um, the office of deacon in verse 8. Uh, and deacon really is a word that means servant or minister. And while every Christian is called in some sense to serve and to minister, even the verb form of this word Deacon is used in ways that it is clearly a responsibility of every Christian. Uh, here, I think it is referring to something in a more official capacity, those in leadership. And so one question about deacons really comes out in verse 11, where it says their wives likewise must be. And even you might see a footnote in your Bible that says, well, it could be translated women. 
Is it their wives of the deacons or is it their, the women? And I think personally, the better translation would be the women, that there is a category for women servants and ministers in the church. Um, they are not the ones that are teaching and leading like we see the overseers do, but they are serving and ministering in the church. And just one reason why I would think that is if they're if the elders or the overseers seem to be kind of the top level of leadership in the church, why is there no requirements for their wives, but there would be requirements then for the wives of the deacons? And another example I would raise is there's a woman in Romans 16 that is referred to as a deacon or as a servant. And that's where is that being used in kind of a more technical sense or a general sense? That's a fair question. And this is something that I know people will disagree about what the translation should be, but it's not ultimately the important, most important issue. The most important issue is the character required. And so as you look at these, uh, starting with the overseers, uh, the, the first qualification is a good way to really sum up the whole list. The overseer must be above reproach, above reproach, that they are a blameless person. That does not mean that they are perfect, but there is no disqualifying accusation that can rightly be made. And I'd say even another way for a sinful person to be above reproach is that when they do make some kind of sin or mistake, they respond. They model what the right response should be with their repentance. Now, obviously, according to this list, there would be some sins that would be immediately disqualifying, even if there is a good response. But remember that the pastor is never going to be a perfect person. But what are some of those specific things that are highlighted that need to be above reproach where, where even if there's failure and a good response that, well, that person shouldn't be an overseer. Well, we see things like the husband of one wife uh, and, or it could be often referred to as a, a one woman kind of man. That this is, man is pure, that he is devoted if he is married to his wife in a way that honors God and honors marriage and is pure. You also see attributes of self-controlled or sober-minded, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So you see a long list there of things Paul highlights to give some further definition to this idea of above reproach. You also see that he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church, right? If he can't take care of his own house, how is he going to take care of God's house, and then you see some similar things uh, with deacons. They must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They need to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They need to be tested. Then there's the qualifications for the wives or women. So a lot of specifics here. But what I would encourage you to do is to, again, remember those three things I told you of how this passage applies to you. First, you should look for leaders like this. Look to attend a church with leaders like this. Second, you should pray for your 
leaders as they face temptation that could make them not above reproach. You should pray for them to continue to live this way and even to grow in living this way. And third, you should seek to imitate the kind of things you see here in 1 Timothy 3. One of the reasons God has given you leaders in the church is to set an example. So, you should be saying, well, if this is the kind of character God wants in my examples, then this is clearly the kind of character that God wants in me. So I want to live out these things more. So I would encourage you very practically as you read these lists of requirements for the leaders of the church, I would encourage you to pick at least two or three specific ones that stick out to you as an area where you would say, "Mm, this is a way I would want to grow. This is a way that I think I could be a better example even to others. Pick two or three things from this list and prayerfully go to God and say, God, I I want your help. God, I want to be more hospitable, perhaps. Or God, I want to be more sober-minded. God, there's too many times where I'm not thinking clearly because of fear or anxiety or whatever else, and I want to be sober-minded. Or maybe there's some way you're being tested. God, help me to pass this test and prove myself faithful. Take these character qualities that you are called to imitate and bring them to the Lord because every part of the body is important because this is God's house. And I hope the importance of thinking of the church as the household of God helps us all to grow in the image of our Savior. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.